Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Mariano. How are you doing today? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being part of our show. I just want to do a quick introduction for our listeners. So Mariano Kostelek is the founder of Student Finance, which is a platform founded out of Spain in 2019, and it partners with educational institutions to help finance students who are looking to upskill their certain disciplines like cybersecurity, software development, and it practically uses an income share agreement. So far, student finance has raised around 46.3 million. To give a little bit of light to what an income share agreement is, and you can correct me, Mariano, is practically it's like a loan to a student to finance their tuition. And only when they start working, they start to repay part of that loan as a percentage of their income, and eventually they would repay it back in a specific time period. If, however, they don't find the work, it's still a liability, but I think you have some flexible ways to finance it. Did I get that right? Have I missed anything? Yes, absolutely. So the core model of what you're doing with finance is essentially enable people to access upskilling and reskilling opportunities, removing the major friction. As you said, there's more things in the cost and the funding, but that is definitely the area blocking or stopping people from actually accessing better opportunities. So with our model, we enable such users to access education programs that have very high employment demand. So as you mentioned, in sectors with high employability and shortage of talent. And because there is such shortage and because we are monitoring, tracking, mapping that income and demand, we are able to offer a model where they start paying when they get a job or when they secure income above a specific minimum income threshold for a specific duration of time. That's very interesting. I think I could look at it as a marketplace. You looked at it differently. It's a B2B2C play. But practically, when you started, what was more important to find students or to find educational partners? And how did you do it? So the problem started by understanding there's a shortage of talent in the market, right? That's really facing companies and employers. And then what we have seen is the cost is the friction. But these people go to these particular education providers. And from our perspective, what we developed was a model that we partner with education providers. Actually, we do quite a detailed analysis on their courses, their performance, their admissions criteria, how they select and onboard uh, users or students, as well as what are their placement efforts and placement, um, placement metrics and so on. And what we have designed is a model that we integrate our technology, our platform into the processes and systems of the education providers so that they can actually offer a flexible payment option, let's say, to their uh, individual users. So while we were from day one engaging and speaking with users and education providers, we started by, let's call it distributing via education providers who already have demand from people that want to access those courses and the barrier, the cost is a big barrier. We are enabling them to remove that. 
So from that perspective, yeah, we started, it's still our core model today to partner with those programs and access users via them. So practically, if I'm a student looking to join one of these educational partners, I would expect to see in their, probably their payment schema that their student finance, and you, instead of getting a loan or a financial aid, there's a way that you can finance. And then I believe as a student, what's the catch for me? Is it cheaper for me to go with student finance or is it more economical to go with a traditional bank? There is several aspects to that. Because the model is outcomes-based, there is a, almost like a stamp of credibility there that people accessing these courses will get jobs, right? Because we do the vetting on those programs, we track the data, the schools participate in a what we could call a risk-sharing structure there. So everyone has incentives aligned to make sure that person gets the skills and gets a job at the end of the funnel. So if you look at then what is the main value and so on, because people then pay when they get a job and there is a minimum threshold, there's a huge um, safety net and flexibility there that is really key for people. If you would, for example, compare with traditional loans, there's several things that are interesting to compare. One is in a loan, you need to pay, make payments regardless of job or income status. And um, the loan provider typically would not have any incentives aligned on your particular outcome. And that is a very different perspective from our model, which actually people value massively, especially when they are reskilling, let's say switching careers. And there's a huge need today in the market to retrain, let's say millions of people from sectors, employment sectors that are, let's say, slowing in, in demand or in growth to areas where there's shortage of talent. And for those people, because they're especially transitioning to a new career in new area, having this model enables them to only pay when they actually secure income is really key. So you're not comparing really with taking a loan. You're actually looking at a very different product here, very different value proposition. If I'm a student and there's a lot of potential for fraud here, how would you manage first to know that someone is hired? And how would you be able to know how much they're earning? And then finally, how would you be able to know if they haven't left the country where you cannot track them and they're saying, hey, we have not found a job? Yeah, those are very good questions. And those are core to our operation, how we work. First, we integrate deep into the education providers. They themselves have, let's call it an incentive to make sure that people have jobs and follow that track record of them. So that is essentially a very joint type of effort. Second, in terms of how do we know they get hired in the first place? So despite the users applying by education providers, we keep very close to them in terms of very close communication with those users. We also support them and enable them to access career opportunities. So we participate heavily in their job placement or job finding efforts, which means that you really see when they secure employment and we work closely with that. On top of that, as a, an infrastructure, we have built systems and technology to validate income of people, job status, depends on the market, obviously, because these things operate different, for example, in Spain, where we operate, in the UK, in Germany, etc. But we integrate with social security databases, with open banking to have access to real-time transaction data from their actual bank accounts. We extract even tax returns and other sort of data points that really give information about income people have, obviously. Having said all of these, because the incentive is really to enable people to have a job, the core effort goes towards that. And the repayment structure is designed that there is a number of payments 
but in a longer, let's call it payment window. So if someone for, let's say, six months or a year says they don't have a job, they don't have an income um, because they don't, that just means they will start making payments when they actually secure income and they will start making repayments then. So essentially, if someone doesn't actually secure a job or sufficient income early enough, we will support them. The school will support them. And when they actually do it, then they will start making those payments. Got you. So the show is about the first 100. And as you said, probably your most important customer is your distribution partner, the educational partner. Take us back to the first customer. How did you find them? How did you convince them? What was your pitch to them? So we uh, spoke with a lot of education programs, in particular in the shape of technology boot camps. Those are courses that train especially web development, uh, cybersecurity, data analytics, and similar courses. We spoke to a lot of them, identified their need for better options, especially to remove the financial barrier. Obviously, there was two aspects to that. One, at the time, this was before we even launched the business, was the research we're doing ahead of that. We had to raise and secure funding to start operating and to start provide any sort of capital as well. So there's two things we did. One, we actually engaged those education providers. We signed a number of letters of intent saying, if we deliver or provide you this exact service, would you buy it? Would you want it? Yes, they committed and they signed to do it. And this was essentially one of the first efforts to actually start raising capital for the first time and raise some initial pool of funding. Now, that funding on its own was not sufficient necessary to provide capital to the education providers, or at least not at scale. So we started by designing then a platform, a technology to enable them to offer flexible payments, but them taking a large share of their risk. In some cases, 100%, in some cases less. So we would finance, but only a fraction, let's say, of the volume. And this allowed us to enable these education providers to offer these flexible payments, which was their main conversion or main friction. It also enabled us to build a track record in terms of understanding the performance metrics of each particular program, how long they take to complete these courses, how long they take them to secure employment, what income levels they get, and build essentially track record around that, which then enabled us to secure more institutional capital to then start actually providing financing and capital to the education providers to enable them to, to actually expand. And we had to use those techniques to prove that, especially because we started to operate in Europe and this uh, model was not, let's say, widespread yet, was not known from an investor perspective, from a capital provider. Obviously, they wanted to see track record and, and traction. And we had to face that, I would say, almost a chicken and egg situation that People were interested in funding this, but they wanted to see the traction first. So we had to for create track record and data to then secure funding. And this is how we onboarded the first users and went through the first phase of, of the operation. What advice would you give someone who wants to get letters of intent signed, but they are very early on, they don't have the reputation, they don't have the track record. And as you know, you will be knocking on a hundred doors, but only five or six would reply. Yeah, it's important to really be close to at least a handful of very good potential customers that you know that the solution you're proposing, even though it's not built or 
you don't have it yet, would solve a really big pain point for them. And actually, often there's a step before that, which is to even know the exact pro solution that you're offering, you need to start having conversations with potential customers and clients or users out there to design a product solution that is really core to them. So I think really ask questions and really understand their pain points and show that you're really serious about solving them. That is important. Obviously, the point you mentioned about accessing those target um, customers, let's say, when you have no maybe drug, no drug record, no reputation, no background. Look, as any sort of introduction or access, it's important to try to leverage other networks, get introductions to decision makers, you know, meet people in key industry events. So typically decision makers in any company, in any sector, they would tend to go or participate in let's say, industry-relevant um, activities or events. So be there and actually engage with them. And those are the environments where you can actually have conversation where you're not pitching them for a service, which you don't have, but you're rather asking them what are their challenges, what are their pain points, and build a relationship because you need to build a relationship so they trust you sufficiently to actually give you a signed letter of intent for a product that you don't even have yet. Very interesting. I'm very curious to know, how would you find the decision maker in institutions like this? You cannot cold email someone on LinkedIn. Maybe you can, but is there a specific technique you used? Look, I think some people do cold call LinkedIn. You can, but that would have low conversion because everyone gets too many LinkedIn messages these days, I'm sure. So specific techniques is actually better try to look into your networks, ask for referrals. You always know someone who knows someone who knows someone, and that is always an easy starting point. It requires, obviously, effort to, to try to dig deep into your network and connections. You can definitely use LinkedIn to map those networks. Asking a few referrals is always 100% better than cold calling or cold messaging. And now... I would not say cold messaging never works, but it would have a lower rate of response. The other one is exactly as I said before, uh, try to identify industry-related events or activities and go there. For example, tech startups is common people want to go to a tech conference, but depends on the industry you're operating. Maybe those decision makers are not in the tech conferences. They are on, on a, I don't know, an aeronautics trade show or whatever the industry that you're operating is. So you should definitely try to go there and get close to those customers. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing this. Now that you've raised a big round, you have enough firepower to go and do uh, specific marketing activities. Where do you think is the highest ROI for you today after you've learned in the seed round where to focus? So obviously we now are well capitalized to scale and grow the operation. So we will be investing in expanding our network of partners. We're operating today across several European markets. So there's a lot of effort there. One area that we are putting most efforts now, and we see there's a huge opportunity for us to take the business to real next stage is invest a lot in our data and prediction capabilities, because the core here is not actually provide the financing to particular courses, is to really map future job market demand, future income potential. And that's where we need to be a step ahead of the industry, of the market, know what are the skills, talent that will be needed six, 12 months from now, and then partnering with the right programs and enable them to connect 
to the employers out there. So we will be investing a lot in the data uh, capabilities of, of the business. Um, obviously, we will be expanding our footprint into the markets we are operating. And also on the back of upgrading data and uh, you know understanding of those trends, expand to more education segments, let's say, or skills that we will be covering and start working more and more closer and integrating more into the job market. So making those connections between the users going through these training courses and employers much seamless through our infrastructure. And again, that will leverage a lot the data from both sides, from the job market, back to the education providers to really make sure that we scale and grow in areas that have secured and closed employment demand. Amazing. Can you share with us a story about uh, student finance that you're most proud of? Yeah, this is an easy one because uh, in our business, by definition, we are literally, I would say, changing people's lives. This is literally the term a lot of our users use when they give us a review, we change their lives. For me and for the whole team, this is also one of the key drivers that motivates and focuses everyone. We have users, for example, I remember when the first user that actually graduated from one of our programs. This was a person that was working previously as a, essentially a bartender in a restaurant. So a low paid job, nothing special, but was a very ambitious uh, and driven person. He went to a data analytics course uh, through uh, our platform. Obviously the person could not have afforded that. We enabled them to pay when they get the job and then secure the job. This was a person living in Barcelona in Spain got a job remotely in a U.S. blockchain company and earned six times more than what he did previously at his restaurant job, which was complete game changer or life changer, let's say, for that person. And these are the type of stories you see we hear constantly. Not everyone has a six times increase in income. The average today is about 50% that we're seeing. But you see how this is a huge impact that, that our service is offering to the market and, you know, changing people's lives. Our mission is essentially change 100 million lives like that. We say one at a time because each of them matters and it's important, but it's really about making a huge impact. Thank you for sharing uh, this. And definitely we hope that mission is successful because it has a huge impact on the world. Is there a principle that you live by that has helped you become successful in business or in life? You could share any. I think one is don't be afraid to go I would say beyond the, the comfort zone or to what you're afraid of. It happens to everyone. We know what we have to do, but it's out there. It's scary. You're afraid. You've never done that before. You just have to do it. Stop thinking and go for it. It's easier said than done. And uh, even for me, but obviously that's something I, I personally believe in and did definitely help me overcome challenges that sometimes you realize that you could have addressed ages ago if you had taken this approach immediately. Because often what happens, once you actually take that next step, you realize that it was actually not as scary or uncomfortable or hard that you anticipated before doing that. Is there someone you look up to that has influenced your entrepreneurial journey? Look, obviously, there's been a lot of people that I looked over time, but I think if you had to pick one person that obviously maybe it's... Uh, Typical example that I definitely see Elon Musk as a leader that in some play, in some shape, we should all admire. He's built industries, not just companies. He's completely reshaped entire industries and he's super detailed in the products he's building. 
um, he executes at a huge speed. But his level of thinking is, you know, change and improve humanity holistically. And that's someone that, yeah, I definitely look up and uh, it's a great inspiration. Thank you for sharing that. Mariano, one last question. What's next for student finance? Yeah, what's next? Look, we just uh, closed a round of capital. We are now executing to our next stage. It's really about uh, expanding substantially on the impact we're, we're making. You know, we're looking at 10 times increase in volumes of uh, customers, users that we are supporting in accessing upskilling opportunities and yeah, make a big impact. Amazing. Thank you for being part of the show. We wish you the best of luck. Where can people reach you? The best is to find me on LinkedIn. Amazing. We'll put in the show notes some links to your website and we hope uh, that you achieve your mission. Great. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers. 